you got your Bible with you, I would love for you to grab it and turn to Romans chapter 12. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 12. I want to share our word with you first off, right at the very beginning of my message this morning, because it's a powerful word. It's a word that can bring freedom into our lives. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. So what Paul tells us, he says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is God's word for us today. And it's a good word. It's a powerful word. And it's not a word just designed to give you instruction. It's a word designed to give you freedom. Now, there's a Spanish story of a father and of a son who became estranged. They had fought, and the son uh, got so angry that he ran away. But the father didn't want to settle for this broken relationship, so he set off to find him. He searched for months, several months, to no avail. Finally, in a last desperate attempt to find, his uh, to find his son, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, the father showed up in front of the newspaper along with 800 other Pacos <laughs> looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. See, what we believe about forgiveness, it matters in our faith journey, especially in terms of how we forgive others. Now, last week we talked about forgiveness and this, the, the fact that God gives us this beautiful, this beautiful gift of forgiveness, and he gives us this benefit of being forgiven. And see, since we have received this forgiveness, since that we have lived in this, 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 assure, this assurity that we are forgiven from our sins and our past uh, failures, because we've been given this gift and this benefit, we ought to be able to give forgiveness to others as well. In fact, God's Word instructs us that if you are forgiven, you must forgive, because you can't be forgiven without forgiving others. But it's so difficult to forgive people sometimes. Because if, if you need to forgive someone, it means they've hurt you. It means that they've wounded you. It means that there's an offense in your relationship. And those hurts, those wounds, those offenses, they can come in so many different forms. They can come in different frequencies. Um, meaning that um, you may be in a relationship with someone who hurts you. And then there's no wounds or no hurting for a while. But yet something triggers and then they, they hurt you again. And then years pass and they hurt you again. Generational wounds, generational sin, generational uh, offenses between family members even. Some are habitual hurts. <laughs> Just habits that have become ways that we hurt each other. These different wounds, these hurts, 
they have different severities as well. Some are small, some are big. And because of that, it makes it hard for us in our humanness to forgive others. It's hard to forgive someone who hurt you or wounded you, right? Now, Scripture is very clear with what we are to do with forgiving others. And it also speaks to our propensity or our inability to forgive. In fact, I think that's why Paul gave us this piece of Scripture in Romans 12. He knew that it would be hard for us to forgive. He, he knew it would be hard for us not to, to try to make things right in our own way or to, to, to exact some form of revenge. And what we believe about unforgiveness is just as important about, uh, as what we believe about forgiveness. Because we're all forgiven. Now, a simple definition of unforgiveness is having or holding a grudge against someone who has offended you. Now, you don't have to raise your hand or participate in this in any way, but just think for a moment, because at the end of my sermon today, I'm going to ask you to try to think of someone that has hurt you or wounded you. And I want you, I'm going to give you some practical ways that you can begin to exercise forgiveness in a relationship where maybe you've been holding on to unforgiveness. So think of, is there someone that you've been kind of holding a grudge against? Someone who offended you, that there's something between you. And I want you to understand that unforgiveness, it's a sin. It's a sin to not forgive others. And and it's a sin that causes us to think and to do evil things. Things like harboring anger. And, and you know, if, 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 you, if you have been in a season or been in these moments or if you're in one now where you're harboring anger, you know what that does. You know what it does to yourself, right? Maybe that, th- this unforgiveness has, has drawn you into being so resentful of someone that there's absolutely no way you've convinced yourself that there's no way you could ever be in relationship with that person again because of the level of resentment that you have for them maybe this propensity to to not forgive has caused you even to react in anger and take revenge and then In terms of unforgiveness, there are things that we do to ourselves too. Like this one. Allowing the original offense to continue to offend you. Maybe there was just just this one moment where they, they offended you or they hurt you, but they haven't ever again. But you've let that one just hold on to you. That one offense has you've held on to and you've never ever been able to move past it. You've held on to that wound. You've held on to that thing they said. And here's the thing. Unforgiveness, it it will do some things to us. Allowing unforgiveness to to have a hold on us, it prevents us from having that wound healed. Having the wound restored. And wounds that, that don't heal, do you know what happens to them? They get infected. And then before too long, if you've allowed resentment, anger, frustration to keep you from forgiving, 
that wound, it isn't hurting them anymore. It's hurting you because that wound isn't healing. It's infecting your mind, spirit, and soul. Even allowing that wound to infect every inch of you. See, our attitudes, our thoughts, our, our thought processes, our conversations, they all can be infected. I mean, maybe you've experienced this. You have these thoughts or these conversations in your head about that individual who hurt you or wounded you. And you write this narrative, you put this, this spin or this picture of things, and it has completely infected your entire body. You, you can't possibly think of having a relationship with that person again. I, I, I also kind of liken it to um, like picking a scab. When I was a kid, I played baseball, and um, my mother said that the dirtier I got, the better I played, and it was true. And I would slide even if you didn't need to. I mean, I'd rub dirt on myself just because. But inevitably on one of those slides, you, any of you have played baseball or softball before, you know, you get one of those those big strawberries, we call them on our legs. And thankfully, in a day or two, it would scab over. But what do we do with those scabs, right? We, we, we can't help but pick it, right? And for unforgiveness, it can be like that as well. You can have this wound that's really scabbed. It's, it's healing. That's the healing process. But you can't keep your hands off of it. And you keep picking that wound until it's opened again. See, we fight with the people that have hurt us in our heads. We strangle them with our emotions. And we resent them when we hear that they've found favor, that things might be going good in their lives. And all along, we're allowing ourselves to be hurt over and over again by our own inability to forgive. That's why it matters what we believe about unforgiveness. So let's take a closer look at what Paul says. Paul says in verse 17, he says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. See, now this stands completely in contrast to what we're predisposed to do. See, the normal way we operate is, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You wound me, I'm going to wound you back. You got me, I'm going to get you. When we're hurt or wounded, it's difficult to embrace and actually carry out the concept of do not repay evil for evil. Have you experienced that? And the reason it's so difficult is because this concept doesn't, it, it doesn't originate in the human heart. Do you know that our human hearts have been changed from the very beginning because of the actions of two people? And because of the actions of two people in our hearts, we're not predisposed to not do evil. The very beginning, Adam and Eve, back in the Garden of Eden, our hearts became corrupted when their hearts became corrupted. And their hearts were corrupted not just simply by the fruit that they took from the tree. Their hearts were corrupted because they took something that God never intended for them to have. Genesis 3.5 says this, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. See, when Adam and Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they, they took something that God never intended for us to have because he knew that our propensity would be to be unforgiving and our propensity would be to do evil to each other. And he never wanted us to have that. And so when Adam and Eve took and ate, it corrupted every human 
heart. And you may be like, oh, there's no way, Pastor Scott. I don't believe that. I mean, have you seen little baby Mary Rose? There can't be any evil in her. Well, guess what? It will surface soon, Grandma and Grandpa, great-grandma and grandma, because before too long, she'll be doing things like this. Mine! That's mine! You won't teach her that. It's here in the heart from the fall. Because of the fall, we took something from God, something we were never designed to have. And that's the knowledge and the ability to do both good and evil. But we're so blessed because forgiveness, it begins to change the heart. It should begin to transform the heart. And then new, new emotions, new attitudes, new actions should originate in the heart of people whose heart has now turned towards God. Because the heart of God was to give us, un, just give us freely this gift and benefit of forgiveness. And so what we need to do is we need to receive that gift. And, and not only do we need to receive that gift, but we need to accept it. Have you, how many of you have ever been given something from someone and you received the gift, but you never accepted it? Because it just was like, oh, you know, what am I ever going to, you know, wives, if your husband ever gave you a vacuum for an, your anniversary present, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to take it, but I'm going to accept it. Okay. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about here because God gives us this gift of forgiveness and we receive it, but sometimes we don't accept it because we can't come to terms with our own failures and failings. And then we need to learn to, to, to appropriate that forgiveness, to start realizing I am forgiven, so therefore I've got, I've got to give it away. I've got to give that same forgiveness away. This is why it's counterintuitive for us to be forgiving people. Because we don't, we don't naturally possess this. God has to give it to us through this heart change. Just like belief, just like, like being forgiven, forgiving others has to begin in our hearts. It can't be in our heads. It can't be in our emotions. It can't be based on rationalizing how or, or when or how many times they hurt us. If it begins in the heart, if it begins to originate in the heart, it will begin to collide with what we know. It'll begin to collide with what we know about what they've done to us. If our forgiveness, which originates in the heart, begins to grow and move forward towards that other person, that, that forgiveness we have received will begin, will begin to collide with the person who's hurt us. And all of a sudden, hopefully, our perspectives should, ab about them should start to change. This forgiveness that we receive when we begin to discover the, a way to extend it, we'll begin to massage all of those hurts and wounds and change them. And any of you, anyone here in the room that has done that, that's been able to forgive someone who's offended them or wounded them, you know that this process, this experience, it's a learning experience to be able to let go of things and to forgive others. And the goal, the hope, is that eventually all this will begin to change you, heal you, and move you to the ability to forgive. And then and only then will you find relational, free, free, uh, relational freedom with the people that have hurt you. Let's keep looking at what Paul says. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, 
as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He says everyone. He says everyone. Do you know what that means? That means everybody. That means we forgive everybody who ever hurt or wounded us. It means that no matter what the wound, no matter what the hurt, no matter what the offense, we forgive everyone. There's not one person that Christ won't forgive, and therefore there's not one that we're not to forgive. Now, you may be thinking, but wait, Pastor, you don't know the person that you would be asking me to forgive. This person is abusive, maybe verbally. This person is abusive even physically. This, I mean, you don't understand what it would take for me and, and, and the danger it might put me in if I were to forgive that person. What we're talking about here today doesn't mean you stay in an abusive or dangerous relationship. But eventually, you have to come to unforgiveness. You have to overcome the unforgiveness for your own sake. It doesn't mean that you have to be back in relationship with them. If the person that has popped into your mind, that has hurt you, that has wounded you, is someone who it's not safe for you to be with or be around, that doesn't mean you don't forgive them. It means you work on forgiving them, but you continue to keep yourself safe from them. Remember last week how we talked about how God forgives us for his own sake because he desires to be in relationship with us and he desires not to have enmity between us and God? And so when you are faced with a situation of forgiving everyone, if you can't forgive everyone, what you will do is you will not hold them captive, you'll hold yourself captive. You'll keep yourself in the bondage of that. Now that being said, that doesn't mean you wander right back into an abusive relationship. But forgiving everyone is important. Isaiah 43, 25, which I shared with you last week, it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember, and I will not remember your sins. See, it is for our sake, it's for our benefit to forgive. God gives us, God forgives us for his sake, and he says, do the same, if, if for nothing else, your own sake. And then Paul gives us a practical and, and some practical and digestible things to do. He says in verse 18, he says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So number one, as far as it depends on you. You know what that means? You, you know what it means when Paul says, as far as it depends on you? I mean, as, as, as far as, I mean, as much as we're talking about you, you know what this means? It means that we have to stop contributing to the feelings of unforgiveness. We have to, we have to stop complaining about the wound or that individual. We have to stop allowing those things to control us. See, here's the thing. When we stop complaining, when we stop contributing to that unforgiveness, towards another, which in essence is the art of rehashing and revisiting. Do you know that the art, uh, that, the, that revisiting and rehashing an old wound is an art form? And some of you are master craftsmen of this. 
you are really, really good at rehashing and revisiting things. Now, here's something that's very important. To live at peace doesn't mean partnership. That means you may have to get out of a bad relationship or a bad situation. Extending forgiveness does not mean you remain in an unhealthy or dangerous situation. Forgiveness doesn't mean we forfeit justice. But forgiveness is surrendering justice. It's not about dismissing our case. It's about appealing our case to a higher power. Let God take care of it. You forgive so that you are no longer held captive, that you no longer rehash or revisit, and let God exercise justice. You're not setting aside or or dismissing. You're just trusting that God who forgave you will deal with the same individual as he has dealt with you. Number two, don't take revenge. In other words, stay out of God's business. Didn't God just tell us that he's the one that takes revenge? He's the one that settles these things and deals with these things. So get out of God's way. Give God room to move in both you and them. If you take matters into your own hands, you might keep God's hands from doing something miraculous. You you never know. If you can forgive someone who's wounded you and let God just work in that, rather than you try to do something in your own power, your own will, based on your own desires, you might completely derail what God is doing in the life of that person. If you will let go and let God be God. Don't take matters into your own hands. But, but that's hard because we like paybacks, don't we? I mean, we really like paybacks, but they're not our place. They're not up to us to decide, and they're certainly not up to us to dole out. I had this situation in in my church in South Dakota where I was being voted on to move from the youth pastor to the senior pastor position. And there was one man in the church and he made some accusations about me. And and I didn't know about them at first. And then on a a Friday, we were going to vote. The church was voting on me on a Saturday or on a Sunday. And on the Friday night, I got a phone call from the DS. And he says, I want to put the vote off because this one person has said a couple of things about you that I need to kind of, I need to hear from you. and, and, And immediately, my in my humanness i wanted to go right to that person and say why would you lie about me why would you do this why would but uh, i remember i was i I just come back from refereeing a high school basketball game i was sitting in my car talking to the ds and i was ready to take revenge i was ready to lash out i was ready to prove myself innocent and as i as i sat and i listened to the ds and then he prayed for me as soon as he prayed said amen i hung up the phone the lord said to me it's not yours to work out scott this is mine If I've gotten you this far, I'm going to take you the rest of the way. So don't get in God's way. Do not repay evil for evil. Forgive and realize it must originate in the heart. Then Paul says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So despite the offense, despite the hurt, despite the wounds, if given the opportunity to sustain, if, if given the opportunity to just kind of hang in there, if you are somehow able to sustain some form of relationship, 
with boundaries. Paul describes this as heaping burning coals on their heads. Now, for some of you, you're like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Heaping burning coals. That's a good thing. I'm liking that. But that's not really the picture. I think we've, I think we've skewed this picture a bit. Because when we, when, when we allow God to, uh, through our actions to heap burning coals, when we say yes to God, hey, I'm going to let you deal with this, I know that this sounds pretty aggressive, and it is, but, but it doesn't allude to causing pain or getting revenge. It is all about good overcoming evil. And those heaping burning coals, they're not to inflict pain, they're to refine and transform. They're to change something. Being poured down on them is to transform and to refine and to change. One thing about heaping burning coals on someone, if you, can, if you can just kill them with kindness, if you can just be godly, if you can just honor God in all ways, you know what? It won't go unnoticed. Burning coals will not go unnoticed. They will transform. They will refine. And then the problem is all too often we will look and others will too at forgiving someone who's hurt us as a demonstration of weakness. Have you ever felt like that? If, you, if I forgive them, it's, it's showing I'm, I'm just weak. I'm letting them have their way. I'm just going to feel weak in this ability, in, in this action where I forgive someone. And the reason why you feel that way it has to do with being hurt. And if we give them access to us, it just stands to reason they're going to hurt me again. If, if, if I forgive, it's just going to show that I'm weak. And, and you know what strong people do with weak people? They just run right over the top of them again. But that's not how God works. See, when we exercise the power of unforgiveness with someone uh, we're not, like I said before, we're not holding them captive. We're just holding ourselves captives. When in essence, we're the ones being held prisoner by this. I mean, you might not even know that you are being have, held captive, but you are. You want to know how to know if you're being held captive by unforgiveness? Ask yourself about your thoughts about that person. When that person that hurt you, that you're having a hard time forgiving them, if you, if you want to know if you're the captive, ask yourself about how you think about it. What's your first thought when you think about that person? Is it positive or is it negative? If they needed your help, would you help them? Can you think positively about them? Have you planned or plotted revenge? Do you secretly wish they would fail? If those are the thoughts going through your mind, you're the prisoner in this process, not them. They have no idea you have those thoughts about them. They have no idea the plot or the plan that you're, con- that you're conspiring to, to commit. That's only something you're harboring in your own life. Because our past hurts and pains, they keep us from forgiving because we desperately do not want to be hurt again. You see, true forgiveness is giving up the possibility of changing the past and trusting God to determine our future. To grasp true forgiveness, what we believe about forgiveness and unforgiveness, we have to change our attitude. 
And the truth is, if you want your attitude to change toward forgiving others, it, it's re- going to require you to do some things. If you have hope, if you have a desire for your added, attitude to change, you've got to take some action. And you need to have an action plan. So let me give you just five things that we can do. First step, love them. Love the person that hurt you. Don't return to them just yet, but love them by praying for them, thinking better of them. Recognize they probably need God as much as you do. Second step, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. If you have an opportunity to where your human propensity would be to to do something mean, do something nice. Step three, don't accept evil or the consequences of evil. Just don't put up with it. Step four, own your responsibility. Regardless of who's hurt you, every single one of us probably have some part to play in that. And then finally, just remember, the past is the past. Don't look back. Realize that there's freedom in forgiveness. So forgiveness is about setting the prisoner free. We know that, right? That forgiveness is about setting the prisoner free. But guess what? You're the prisoner. So this week, here's what I want to do, and this is how we're going to wrap up. I want to help all of us begin the process of forgiveness. So if you could, if you could think of that person that you, that you have struggled to forgive in your, in your life. Maybe it's somebody that hurt you years and years ago and you've just been holding on to it. Maybe it's a recent wound. Next week, we're going to dig into the process and mechanism of forgiveness. But for today, we need to understand that forgiveness is the process of releasing someone of a debt that they owe you because of the pain they've caused you. Let me tell you a brief story. How many of you are familiar with Corey Ten Boom? So for those of you who aren't, Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian watchmaker, and later she became a writer, and she worked with her father, Casper, her sister Betsy, and the rest of her family members to, to help the Jews escape from, Nazi, uh, from the Nazis. They would hide them in their homes. They would hide Jews in their homes and protect them from the, keep them hidden from the Nazis. She and her family believed that their actions of, of harboring the Jews was, was in the will of God. It was what God, the purpose that God gave them at that specific time. She believed firmly that they were doing God's work by hiding the Jews from the Nazis. And you would assume because of this, because of this, this great act of faith and obedience that she did in regards to, to, to protecting Jews, that she would be really, really mature in her faith, that she would be really, really solid, and she would not have a problem with forgiving others because of how close she would seem to be to God. But yet she told a story of not being able to forget a wrong that had been done to her. She had forgiven the person, but she kept rehashing the incident. And she kept going back to us, and she couldn't sleep She couldn't eat. She was miserable. She was being held captive by this. So finally, she cried out to God, God, help me. Help me put this problem to rest. Well, God's answer came in the form of a Lutheran pastor. When when Corey shared with him her, her inability to let it go, he said to her, you know, up in the church tower is a bell. 
which is wrung by pulling on a rope. But you know what? After you let go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging. First ding, then dong, slower and slower until there's a final dong and it stops. He said, I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we shouldn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. They're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. This wisdom, it made so much sense to Corey, and Corey said this. She said, and so it proved to be. There were a few more midnight reverberations, a couple of dings when the subject came up in my conversations, but the force, which was my willingness in the matter, had gone out of them. They came less and less. Less and less often, and at the last, they stopped altogether. See, what you need to do, what I need to do, if we've struggled with forgiving someone who's hurt us, is let go of the rope. Eventually, the wound, the hurt, the betrayal will be silenced. I have to believe that in a room this size, with the number of people that we have here this morning, that there has to be a few that are still pulling on the rope. We're still pulling on the rope. And God's saying today you just need to let go of the rope. And yeah, there might be, there might be, some, there might be some residual noise, but eventually when you've let go and you've let your willingness to be part of the problem, when you've escaped from that, eventually all that will be silenced. So we need to let go of the rope. So where do we begin? Well, we begin the process today first by identifying the person or, or persons that have hurt us. And then we need to confess their names before God. We, we need to begin praying and asking God for his help. And we need to pray for that person by name. We need to pray that God will help us in our unforgiveness towards that person. The process of overcoming unforgiveness, it begins by praying through Paul's direction in Romans 12. Do you know that you could take Romans 12, which I read to you, and you can turn that into a prayer? And we're going to pray that prayer this morning as we close. And in fact, if, if you're moved by this, and if this is something you need help on, I've printed this prayer, and it's going to be at the connections desk in the back. Uh, I think Kelly will hand anyone. There's 120 of them. Um, now, here's the thing. Um, this prayer, is, it's powerful. It's going to change you. But here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to walk back there without praying for someone that's hurt you and just grab one to make sure you drop in the mail or hand to the person that hurt you. This prayer isn't one of those that you just throw into someone else's life and say, here, you do this because you've hurt me. You've got to start by praying this prayer. So Kelly's going to help and put the words on the stream, but if you would, would you just, would you just say these words with me? Because this is how to pray this scripture over your life so that you can begin the process of forgiving someone who's hurt and wounded you. Just follow along with me. It says, God... I promise to do my best to not repay anyone evil for evil. Join me. Come on. 
I will be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Most importantly, you. If it's possible, based on the health and safety of the situation, as far as it depends on me, I will live at peace with everyone. I will put my trust in you to do what is right, so I will not take revenge. I will leave room for your wrath. On the contrary, if my enemy is hungry, I feed them. If they are thirsty, I will give them something to drink. My prayer is that my actions will heap burning coals on their heads, not as an attack, but as a plea for you to refine, purify, and transform them into your likeness as you are me. I will not overcome, I will not be overcome by evil because I will overcome evil with good. Think of that person. Find that person. Identify that person. Pray that scripture over that person. Pray it over your own life. Don't dive into an unhealthy situation. If you need help going into that situation, get help. Call your pastor. Call a strong spiritual friend to help you with that. But recognize that if you're holding on to unforgiveness, you're the one that's the prisoner. You're the one that's being held captive. And you will never find healing and wholeness and freedom until you forgive that person. Doesn't mean you have to jump back into a relationship with them. Doesn't mean that you have to give them access to your life. Don't return to a, to a, to a dysfunctional relationship. If you need some scripture help on that, you take a look at Matthew chapter 7. Beautiful teaching on just this subject. But let them go so that God may be able to begin a work in you. And I believe that if we let it go, that God will do a work and he will do a miracle in that relationship, especially if you don't get involved and if you let God move. God, thank you for this morning, this very beginning step and beginning process of us learning to forgive those who have hurt us. And may God, you do that. May you do a work in us that begins in us, that originates in our heart, and that, Lord, it literally changes us from the very inside out, and it is reflected in the way that we forgive others because you so graciously and beautifully forgave us. It's the least we can do. So, God, would you move in each and every one of our lives, help us to identify that person or persons, and begin this process that will not just potentially restore a relationship, but will ultimately bring us freedom from the sin that has kept us captive, the sin of unforgiveness. May God, you move. May, do, may you do what you do best. May it be for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you. Have a great day. We will see you uh, next Sunday.